Chapter 19. Lengths of the green sprigged lawn were unrolled on the counter. Hannah had already pinned about half the pattern pieces in place. Now she hesitated, her best pair of scissors in one hand and a paper pattern piece in the other. She had cut out a great many garments before, of course, for herself and for Papa. But all those had been made with ordinary fabrics, muslin, denims, calicos. The lawn was the most expensive fabric she had ever worked with. Are you good at cutting, she asked Bess. I never did before. Not a dress, Bess said. Only things like aprons. Ma cuts our dresses. She looked a little alarmed, and Hannah realized that Bess did not want to cut the fabric. Hannah had considered what it would mean to be Bess's employer. Being in the same class at school didn't necessarily mean that they were the same age. Bess might well be older than Hannah, and the white person was almost always the boss, not the other way around. A flutter of panic rose in her throat. I don't want to be her. I don't want her to be my employee. I want her to be my friend, Hannah thought to herself. But she had to have help with the sewing. And besides, Bess was here ready to work. I won't make her do anything she doesn't want to do, she thought to herself. How would it be if I pin the rest of the pattern and you start basting the pieces that are already pinned? That way, there's less chance of the pattern slipping and I'll be able to cut it without worrying. Basting was sewing with large, simple stitches using a contrasting color of thread that was easy to see. It was a temporary intermediate step all the basting threads would be removed from the final garment. I can baste, Bess said eagerly. Hannah relaxed a little, feeling as though she had passed her first test as a boss. They began pinning and basting the pattern pieces. Then Hannah cut out one of the smallest pieces, the fold-over stand collar. Basted down, the pattern piece stayed firmly in place. She was glad she had decided on that extra step. She could hear in her head another of Mama's favorite sayings, to save time, take time. Hannah had known she was lonely, but she always thought that it was a combination of missing Mama and not having a real home. Only now did she realize how badly she had needed someone to talk to, other than Papa. At first, she and Bess talked mostly about the work. Hannah explained everything, how the dresses they were making was how the dress they were making was a sample, and how it needed to be well sewn and beautiful so that people would see it and order dresses for themselves. If there were enough orders, Hannah would be able to keep Bess on for the summer. You'll need a dressing room, Bess said. I thought Papa could put up a curtain rod across that corner, Hannah pointed. And I'll hang some pretty fabric, and that could make a dressing room. What else? Oh, a mirror, Bess exclaimed. Hannah kept her face still, but inwardly she winced. Bess didn't know, of course, about Papa's refusal to even discuss the purchase of a mirror, and Hannah had not thought of a way to change his mind. On the wall of the upstairs landing was a round mirror the size of a saucer. Papa used it for shaving. Hannah to do her hair. Sometimes she took it down from the wall and held it at a different angle, but she could only see a small part of herself at a time. At night, with darkness beyond the windows, her image was reflected in the glass as far down to her knees, but without clarity or true color. There was no way to see what she looked like head to toe. She didn't want to think about mirrors any longer, so she changed the subject. Do you know what I really want? It won't be anytime soon, but someday I'd like to have a sewing machine. Bess's face lit up with amazement. A sewing machine? I've seen pictures in the newspaper. Do you know how to run one? Hannah nodded. I do, she said, but we haven't had a machine since we left Los Angeles. Three years now. Mama had tried to work after she got sick, but it was impossible for her to do the fine tasks of sewing with her body jolted by coughs every few minutes. Papa hired a young white woman named Mary to help out. Mary became the shop seamstress and worked there for more than six years until she left to get married. 
When Hannah was 10 years old, Mary taught her how to use the sewing machine. Hannah had wanted to learn sooner, but her legs hadn't been long enough to reach the treadle. It seems like it would be so exciting to sew on a machine, Bess said. Hannah laughed. I don't know about exciting, she said, but it certainly is a lot faster than hand sewing. And some things like pleating or tucking are much easier on the machine, but you still have to do all the finishing work by hand, including buttonholes. She spat out the last word as if it tasted bad. I hate buttonholes too, Bess said. This is probably going to sound odd, but I always hated most everything about sewing. At home, I mean. It feels here different, I guess, because maybe I'm sewing for pay. So you like it now, Hannah asked. Bess laughed. No, I wouldn't say that, but I don't mind the work the way I do at home. And it makes me feel, I don't know, more grown up to be earning. You'll be earning better wages once you start teaching this fall. Bess sighed. I don't want to teach, she said. Standing up day after day in front of a room full of strangers? She shook her head. Sometimes I feel so frightened I'm sure I won't be able to do it, but I'll just have to. There's no other way for me to earn good money to help my family. Hannah realized then how lucky she was in one sense. She loved thinking about clothes, designing dresses in her head and on paper, seeing a pattern come to life in a fabric and then in a person's body, doing work that she loved, a choice not available to many, maybe even most people. They won't be strangers for long, she said encouragingly. You don't think of Miss Walters as a stranger anymore, do you? Why, that is true, Beth said. And Hannah was glad to see her face brighten. It's so hard to picture myself being the teacher the way she is. I think you'll be a fine teacher, Hannah said, a little shyly. I hope so, but how does one know they'll be good at something they haven't even tried yet? Hannah thought for a moment. For one thing, you're a good scholar. Thank you, Beth said. But that isn't the only thing a teacher needs. She told Hannah about a teacher she'd had at a previous school, a good scholar who did not know how to handle children. In some ways, a dreadful story of a noisy schoolroom with spitballs flying and ink spilling and almost no studying. Both girls were laughing by the time Bess finished. Really, it wasn't all funny back then, she said. Once she had caught her breath, she said, what if I end up in her shoes? You saw what happened with her, Hannah said, so you know what not to do. Besides, you care about doing a good job, and that's half the battle, don't you think? Bess smiled. I hope you're right, she said. I'm going to prove it. I care about this skirt scene, Hannah laughed. Then I'd better get back to caring about this bodice. At the noon hour, Hannah dished up soup she had prepared the day before and put it on a plate of and put out a plate of biscuit. She called to Papa in the shop, but he was busy painting and said he would eat later. So she and Bess sat down in the kitchen. Bess looked into her bowl. Uh, excuse me, she said. I don't mean to be rude, but what is this? She scooped something into her spoon and held it up. Well, that's a dried mushroom, Hannah said. To be honest, it doesn't taste like much. You pour hot water over them, and it makes really good stock when you don't have meat. I put the mushrooms into the soup, but, but by then they've given up almost all their flavor. She flicked a glance at Bess's face. Hannah had grown up watching folks at Try Mama's Chinese cooking. She had learned that if you could often tell something about a person by their reaction to unfamiliar foods. Some folks are curious and interested, eager to sample the unknown. Opposite them were those who flatly refused even the tiniest taste. Hannah often wondered about that. As babies and little children, everyone had to eat foods that they never tried before or else they'd starve. When did they decide to stop trying things and why? Then there were the folks in the middle who were hesitant to try, but didn't want to be impolite. Hannah could tell from Bess's expression that she was one in the middle group, but leaning toward being interested. Bess took a small bite of the mushroom. You're right, it doesn't have much taste, she said. And Hannah heard the relief in her voice. Bess ate another spoonful of the soup. 
Was that turnip or potato? Tasted like both. Oh, that's prairie turnip. The Indians call it tipsina. I think that's, that's right. It's a Sioux word. A pause as Hannah remembered something. Here's a funny thing. My papa knew that it was because of your pa. He told me it was Mr. Harris who showed him prairie turnip years ago in Kansas. Beth shook her head. We never had it at home, she said. It's an Indian thing? Well, it's a plant. I don't know. I don't think plants know if they're Indian or not, Hannah said with a smile. But I got them from some Sioux women. Bess was quiet for a moment, staring into her spoon at a cube of the turnip. My ma is, uh, she doesn't care for Indians. She did not look up. I think it's because, I think maybe that's why my pa, why we never eat these. Hannah recalled her encounter with Mrs. Harris. She didn't seem to care for me either, she said to herself. But she was enjoying her time with Bess and didn't want to spoil it with an unpleasant thought. So she pointed to the braid of the remaining prairie turnips hanging on the wall. They braid them like we braid onions, she said. In Chinatown in Los Angeles, you can see garlic braids in all the shops. And the Mexicans braid peppers the same way. Do you think people everywhere do that, Bess asked? Braid their vegetables to store them? Probably, don't you think? I mean, it's sort of common sense, isn't it? Save space, keeps them dry. By the time they finished eating, Hannah felt as if she had known Bess for years. Chapter 20. They had just started back to work when Papa's voice sounded from the shop. Right this way, Mrs. Harris, he was saying. Bess' mother? What is she doing here? Hannah's shoulders tightened. Her mind reached for a wisp of hope. Maybe she wasn't really ignoring me outside the grocery store. She was just in a hurry to get home. But another part of her mind was already rebelling. Why do I always do that? Why do I even bother to hope against what I know to be true? Was it because she wanted to believe the best of people? Wouldn't it be easier to expect the worst and not be left heartsick all the time? But that would, what would that be like to spend every hour always thinking badly about everyone around her? She considered her choices. She could let Bess and Papa attend to Mrs. Harris. That was surely what Mrs. Harris would want for Hannah to stay in the background, a hired girl, a servant. Or she could do her work as the future designer and dressmaker of Edmund's Dress Goods. Papa showed Bess's mother into the workroom. She was wearing a dress of brown calico trimmed modestly with a narrow red braid. It was nicely made. Hannah had noticed the same about Bess's clothes. Mrs. Harris was a good seamstress and the red trim was an unexpected touch of style. Good morning, Mrs. Harris, Hannah said. Mrs. Harris nodded politely, but did not return the greeting. Bess looked up from her work with a broad smile. Hello, Ma, she said. Hello, dear, Mrs. Harris said. She turned to Pop. I hope it's all right for me to come calling before the shop is open. I thought it my responsibility as a parent to see where Bess is working. Of course, said Papa. We're glad to have you here. If you'll excuse me, he held up his paintbrush, nodded to Mrs. Harris, and left the room. Hannah cleared her throat. Bess, would you like to show your mother around a little? I'll make some tea. Look, Ma, isn't it a nice room for sewing? Bess was saying as Hannah went into the kitchen. Hannah wasn't sure why she had offered to make tea, but as she filled the kettle, she remembered another of Mama's sayings. For the person who is sour, do something sweet. Even if she couldn't achieve the generosity of spirit practiced by Mama, she could tell herself that she was making tea as a courtesy to Bess. These days, more people were drinking coffee, but Hannah remained steadfast on her loyalty to tea, both green and black. Green tea had been Mama's favorite. As a little girl, Hannah had loved watching the tight dried leaf buds unfurl in hot water, like tiny fists opening. She loved it still. She liked black tea too, brewed up strong and brown and gentled with sugar, sometimes with milk when there was milk to be had. In Los Angeles, Mama's Chinese friends drank only green tea, while Miss Lorna always made the other kind. 
Hannah had often wondered why everyone didn't drink both. It would be black tea for Miss Harris, of course. After a moment's hesitation, Hannah added to the tray a plate of a few cookies she had baked for the opening. She carried the tray into the workroom and then invited Bess and her mother to join her. How nice, Bess exclaimed. She and her mother sat in the two available chairs. Hannah poured for them, then went to fetch a third chair. I will not stand in a corner and wait on them as if I'm a servant. I will sit down with them, and if she doesn't like it, she can get up and leave, Hannah thought to herself. The window on the north side of the building let in full daylight without blazing sun. The workroom was a bright and colorful place, made even more cheerful by Bess's chatter. Everything you need is to hand, Bess said. You hardly have to walk more than a step or two. She took a bite of a molasses cookie. Mrs. Harris smiled at her daughter. She sipped her tea and looked around the room. I must say it's all very nice, she said. Bess, is it one of your duties to clean in here? Bess looked taken aback. No, Ma, she said. I clear up the scraps and such, but I'm being paid to sew. Immediately, dread began growing in Hannah's heart, for she already knew what Mrs. Harris was about to say. I'm delighted to find the place so clean and pleasant, Mrs. Harris said. Thank you, Hannah said. Her hands were suddenly sweaty as thoughts raced through her head. I should say something. Quick, say it now. Don't think any longer. She opened her mouth and forced out the words. You sound as if you're surprised, ma'am. Well, it's just that you hear things. Miss Harris waved her hand vaguely. Well, what kind of things? Hannah asked. Once she had gotten started, she found it easier to just keep on going. I'm going to make her say it, she thought to herself. Ma, Beth said. She glanced first at her mother, then at Hannah, obviously anxious. Hannah felt a flicker of regret on Bess's account, but tamped it down. She was too angry now. I've never said anything of the sort myself, Mrs. Harris said, but a lot of folks think that Chinamen simply don't have the same standards of cleanliness as we do. I'm pleased to see that it's not the case here. There, she's gone and said it out loud. Hannah had been called dirty Chinamen more times than she could count. Usually the cruelty twisted her gut so hard that she could not speak but she finally was tired of being angry at herself for that response. So she spent a lot of time thinking what she could say instead. And now she would say it with her face blank and her voice as neutral as she could make it. Do you remember the golden spike? She asked, looking directly at Mrs. Harris. Both Mrs. Harris and Bess appeared startled by the sudden subject of change. Yes, of course, Mrs. Harris replied. I was too young, but we learned about it in school, Bess said. The rail lines from the east and the west met in 1869 in Utah Territory. That's right, Hannah said. The rail workers from the east were white. The ones from the west were Chinese. She took a sip of her tea, trying to calm the pounding of her pulse. Over the rim of her cup, she could see that the other two were utterly mystified. The construction supervisor of the Central Pacific Railroad was a man named Mr. Strobridge, she continued. He wrote a report stating that Chinese camps were cleaner by far than the white man's camps, and that there was much less disease and sickness among the Chinese. And if you're thinking this is a story the Chinese tell each other, I'll add that my father was one of the railroad suppliers, and he had had it from Mr. Strobridge himself. He had been very young. She had been very young when Papa told her that story, perhaps six or seven years old, and she had never forgotten it. Her voice had remained level, but she could feel that her face was hot. Bess was looking down into her lap. Mrs. Harris glanced somewhere beyond Hannah's head and shifted in her chair, clearly ill at ease. I'm sure I didn't mean to cause offense, she said as she stood. I think I had best be leaving. You needn't see me out. She left the room before Hannah could say another word. 
Hannah's cheeks were still burning. She knew that she might have lost a customer. Mrs. Harris might well find her impotence cause enough to stay away. Papa would doubtless have a few words to say about that. But at the moment, Hannah was more concerned about Bess. Losing a customer was not nearly as important as losing a friend. Bess was on her feet, having stood and watched her mother's abrupt departure. departure. Hannah looked at her, not sure how to begin. Should she apologize? If she did, it would be insincere. She wasn't a bit sorry for what she had said. In fact, she was proud of herself for having mustered the courage to say it. A moment later, when Bess turned around, Hannah was surprised to see that her face was almost expressionless. Shall I go on with the skirt tears? Bess asked. Hannah blinked. That wasn't what she had expected. Maybe she doesn't want to talk about it now or ever. Yes, that'll be fine, unless she'd rather work on something else. Bess shook her head. She sat down, bent over her needle, and began working. Hannah took up her own needle again. Was it better to pretend nothing had happened and just go on with it? An awful lot of people dealt with difficulties that way. Hannah was as loath as anyone to talk about disagreeable subjects, but she hated the thought of them lurking, waiting for the moment where they would just rear up again 